You are listening to The Real Men Feel Show with your hosts, Andy Grant and Apio Hunter. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having. But you don't need to be a man to join us. The Real Men Feel Show is produced live each Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern for your growth and enjoyment. Listen to us on podcast platforms including iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also watch the show on YouTube by visiting realmenfeel.org slash YouTube. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or subscribe on iTunes by visiting realmenfeel.org slash iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at realmenfeel.org and on Facebook, facebook.com slash realmenfeelshow. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Show your support for Real Men Feel by shopping at realmenfeel.org slash swag, by visiting digitaltipjar.com slash realmenfeel, or even text us a tip. You can show some love for Real Men Feel by texting Real Men Feel, that's all one word, to 504-226-5306. You'll receive a link back to complete your tip and choose the amount. This is a weekly program and your reviews, comments, feedback, and participation are welcome during the live show and anytime in our Facebook group, on Twitter, or at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's dive into this week's show. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. And so far, our guest tonight has yet to show up. But, uh, hey, that doesn't have to stop the show, right? Was it right. The show must Absolutely. go on? The show must go on. Or that was, no, that's a Hollywood saying. That's not a circus saying, is it? Mm, I think it's been attributed to P.T. Barnum. It is? Okay. I, I think, yeah. All right. I'm pretty sure. Well, we'll just, you know, go there. And if we, we need to be corrected, I'm sure somebody will. Yeah, if someone from P.T. Parnum's family wants to come on the show and scold us, <laughs> we're welcome. <laughs> so, as always, with me is Apio Hunter. Greetings. <laughs> and, uh, you know, tonight's show was, uh, well, not was, is, still is about um, the spiritual path versus the religious path or spirituality mm-hmm. versus religion overall. And and what's the difference? And is there a difference? Um and this started because uh, you know, our, our planned guest wrote an article on the Good Men Project, and he mentioned some Pew research that I had seen as well, and that the number of Americans that call themselves religious has been going down, while the number that say they're spiritual has been going up. Mm-hmm. So, so obviously, in the minds of most people, there, there, there is a difference. So, so what, what's your first take? What do you, what, what's, what's the difference for you? How would you define each? Whoa, good question. You know, I I personally do uh, say that there is a difference between being spiritual and being religious. For me, religion is the is the institution which which provides, um, I guess you could say, structure and also ceremony and a sense of community all of those things which oftentimes you know can be very hierarchical and so to me that would be you know religion 
but also coupled in with religion would be some of the less savory aspects of what how people associate with religion, which is the dogma, the judgment, the you know oftentimes the the doom and gloom pronouncements and so forth. And whereas I tend to look at so so for me, religion is multi-tiered, if you will. There is the sense of community. There is the sense of, of ritual, but there's also the us versus them type of a mentality, the focus on dogma and sin and everything else. Whereas spirituality, quite literally, for uh, this is how I define it, spirituality is one's personal relationship with the divine, however you choose to define the divine. Cool. And yeah. that's... Right, the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, 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 to me, dogma is always one that showed up for me when we're talking about uh, religion and and rules and more structure, and mm -hmm. that organized religion kind of tells you how to practice religion, yep. while while spirituality I find is much more based on personal experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So your personal experience, relationship to a, a a higher purpose, a higher energy source, God, the universe. Yeah. Um, or even, um, I remember talking to someone in, in AA, which talks about having a higher power and said, you know, you don't believe in anything, just like give up to the doorknob. Like, I can't control my drinking. I give up to the doorknob to, to help guide me to do something better. Right? So <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, whatever you feel is like the higher power. Great. Mm -hmm. So why do you think more people are identifying as spiritual uh, as opposed to religion? I think what's happening is that a lot of people are rejecting this idea of the us versus them. The, you know, telling, you know, you, sh you have to practice in this particular way and you have to behave in this particular way and you have to do, check off all of these things on this list in order to be quote unquote saved or, or whatever. Um, people are rejecting that in favor of a, less strict, less judgmental, more, more comprehensive, more loving, more um, inclusive uh, form of, of worship. And you, and I, you know, I agree that, yeah, there's the criticism that you sometimes hear from those that are on the, again, this thing about labels that I really kind of get hung up on sometimes, but, when people are labeled like the the religious right or whatever, I don't like to use that label, but for purposes of the conversation, let's go ahead and just use it. You know, people who are assigned that particular category or may who may even self-identify as being part of the religious right, their criticism of mainstream media being very focused on all the negative aspects of their practices and so forth, and just the vitriol that you hear. Granted, I, I think that there is uh, some, a little too much focus on that. And while that vitriol does exist, um, I think that it, uh, there's a lot of sensationalizing that's, that goes on because, you know, you have to get ratings and in order to get ratings, you need to you know, create shock. And, and what's more shocking than somebody who's, you know, standing in front of, of a gay nightclub and shouting that somebody's going to be going to hell and all of that. But my experience with the people who identify uh, you know, being part of the religious right is generally not like that. 
fact, yes, they have no very, very strongly held beliefs, but are still very decent human beings for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like everything has a spectrum of, of people and such, but um, like I find that someone can be an orthodox uh, version of their religion, and it doesn't um, have them attacking other groups or this is the one way I'm going to make you convince you. Whereas mm-hmm. sometimes, the, you know, the, the, the right or ultra conservatives of any religion are more about attacking a group that doesn't believe the same thing or, or really yeah. almost trying with force to convert or mm-hmm. um, take you over. Yeah, yeah, again, yeah exactly. Reality is, is much more fluid. And again, you could decide, yeah, yeah the, the doorknob is my God or God mm-hmm. is my God or define what God is and make your own rituals, make your own yeah. – um, I mean, one of my favorite quotes, I can't think of who said this either, but uh, if the only prayer you say is thank you, that's enough. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think Lori added something to the conversation just now in the chat, which I completely agree with, which is it's the hypocritical behaviors that are turning people off to the dogma of religion, which, yeah, I would completely agree. And, And that's, again, another unfortunate thing where oftentimes, you know, you almost feel there's there's almost like a sense of glee sometimes when you hear about people it's like oh this person who's been you know a big champion of of you know religious freedom laws etc who was caught with a gay prostitute <laughs> and you know that there's all i mean you almost sense that sense of glee when you hear that type of reporting and then of course everybody just piles onto the hypocrisy band yeah and that that's almost like that's the lightest hypocrisy that's the kind that you know you can laugh at but it's the right yeah like so it's, it's, i especially see it in in politics where people describe themselves as a christian and a follower of jesus christ but mm-hmm. none of their policies or actions are uh, jesus christ was very spiritual right he's very fluid and open not he didn't he wasn't strict dogma but the the notion of christianity again at least in our culture seems to get narrower and narrower yeah, it does. And, 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 you know, American Christianity definitely seems to be um, much more dogmatic, if you will. And that, again, that's just how it's portrayed. And that's how it comes across um, in, in a lot of different circles. I don't know if that's necessarily how it really is. Because um, I've come across the people who absolutely fits every single no nasty description that you see in the news and i have met some people who are very very devoutly evangelical and yet most the most wonderful open caring kind people that i i have met you know so 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 yeah they 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 run the full spectrum it's the it's i think when one's private behaviors don't line up with their public persona yeah yeah right that's the ultimate hypocrisy that really damages society and, and the culture. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to point out that it isn't just Christianity that has this issue. I mean, virtually every single religion out there. Obviously, our experience has been with the Western religions, particularly Christianity and some, and the offshoots of that. Um, however, you know, Islam has that same that same challenge where the vast majority of people, if you talk to most Muslims, the vast majority of them completely disagree with how, not only how Islam is being portrayed in, in, in the West, but more so with how Islam, how many of the, the Islamists are 
know, spewing all this stuff about, you know, jihad and so forth and how it's being misinterpreted. Um, you know, I've been, I've had the great fortune of speaking to a lot of students. My mom for the past six, seven years, well, it's been much longer than that, but she's been hosting students from all over the world. But for the past six or seven years now, Every single one of the students that she's been hosting as a, a part of a home state program for a local language school have all been from Saudi Arabia. So I've had the great pleasure of getting to know the students from there. And all of them, every single one, they're, 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 they continue to be you know, shocked and dismayed at the things that groups like ISIS and before them Al-Qaeda would, would be saying. And it's like, no, they're perverting our faith. They're perverting our religion. Right. Yeah, and any, any movement can be radicalized. And again, it just becomes that narrowing structure of, of as Lori's saying, it, you know, a fanatic that just, mm -hmm. again, it's self-imposed narrowing, narrowing limitations that, exactly. that, that, that I think cut you off from spiritual experiences. Oh yeah, absolutely. The moment that and here's how here's how I look at it. When you take when you take a beautiful idea, a beautiful philosophy, whether it's encapsulated in religion or not, and you start to narrow it down to your own personal definitions and then say that all of you must behave the way that I th I think you should all behave and I'm doing it because I think this is what you know what God is telling me. That's when it starts to become a you know a, a problem. Yeah, yeah. And, and and Lori's pointing out that the same thing can happen in spirituality, and that's true. Someone can mm -hmm. be so so hooked on their new agey way, or you're meditating wrong. It's going to be this way, and mm -hmm. you know, there can be people that get as strict and rule following in their sense of spirituality as well. Right. Yeah, this idea that you have to be positive all the time, you know, the new age bullshit that we right. you know, we had Sean on a little while ago talking about that. I think it was over a year ago, actually. It was. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so that's something to point out too. So religion or spirituality, there's, there can be bullshit and, and lies and misinterpretation and just all the human things in, in both aspects too. It inevitably becomes a very, very human thing. And I think where you see a lot of the disconnect between spirituality and religion is, again, it boils down to, is the person, the people who are truly spiritual, and they can be both religious and spiritual at the same time, because I know several people who are very religious and at the same time deeply spiritual, because their personal lives line up with their public expressions of faith. Right. Yeah, some people might identify as religious because they go to church every Sunday but that's all they do. They just follow some of the dogma and then pay no attention. But right. yeah. let's, uh, um, I'd like to, to shift into kind of uh, our experiences. So, sure, yeah. So growing up, I was – my parents were not religious at all. I did, was not raised with any organized religion. I lived in a Catholic neighborhood, and I really thought everything was Catholic. I thought that was the main religion in America. I had one Jewish friend. But I just thought that meant he was from a different nationality. I thought like being Jewish, being Canadian, like same – you know, just a different place. I had no idea that it was a religion and people like would be mad and pick on him for having a different religion. Um, and I thought that for a long time. I was like, I think it was right. like high school that I realized, oh, there's other religions. Wow. You know? But so what, what was your experience growing up? My experience is very, very similar. Now, growing up in Utah here, the predominant faith is Mormonism. And I, it was the same thing for me. And 
I don't know what your experience is like there in Massachusetts growing up, but for me, at least here in Utah, religion still is very much a topic of discussion, even now. And it just, because being Mormon isn't just having, a, you know, a, a set of beliefs and you, it's a, it is a way of life. It is very much a way of life. And your entire life centers around all the activities that go on within the church. I mean, every day of the week, there's something that's going on. Typically, you know, not Mondays because Mondays are what are known as family home evening. And, you know, you, you reserve that time to spend with your family, but it's still a, a church um, promoted church sanctioned church uh, thing that, that goes on. And then every other night of the week, there's activities for, for, you know, like youth groups in, in like the, the large mega churches and so forth. Um, you know, we have, all kinds of things that are going on every single day of the week. There's something, some type of activity, even if it's a sporting activity, it's all you know, centered around the church. Um, you know, again, it's just the culture here is all about that sense of community, that sense of, of belonging to this larger organization. And so why wouldn't you associate with everybody? My own my own exposure to people of other faiths, I was a little fortunate because as I was growing up, I also would go down to Brazil. So I was much more aware of it. But every time I'd come back home to Utah, um, it was like it just everything was LDS. You know, everybody was Mormon. Everybody would go to, you know, to, to the local ward on Sunday. And, and so, yeah, it was um, when, I, when I met my first non-Mormon friend, and the terminology that's used here is no non-Mormon. You know, we have the Mormons and the non-Mormons. Um, it was the, that religious discussion came up, and it, then it became a non-issue. You know, for me, it was just like, well, fine, you're my friend. I don't care. And I was fortunate enough that my mom was also the same way. Both of my parents were like, we don't care what religion you are. So I had that attitude in my household. So it was a little easier. But I remember sometimes people calling me. I was like, why are you friends with him? He's not Mormon. Like, yeah, so. <laughs> so that was, that was my experience. Mm, funny. Yeah. yeah. And so when I was growing up, I, uh, you know, I had, uh, Challenges, problems with with depression, suicidal thoughts, and at some point I thought, oh, maybe religion is wrong because I I was uh, I remember reading Karl Marx and religion is the opening of the masses, and I was very anti-religion, thinking I was above it, but I also thought that life sucked and there was nothing, and I just wanted to die, and that was the end. Um, so as I realized, I had more experiences that th there was more, and we're not just this you know collection of uh, chemicals and flesh running around. Um, th that opened me up more, but I, I also like well maybe. Maybe I'd be happier if I had some of this opiate of the masses. Maybe I should go to, you know, so, but I, uh, so I would go to church with friends. Um, in elementary school, all my friends, like after school, went to catechism classes. And I was like, I want to go. What, what is this? And I couldn't. And, you know, but the church had video games and TVs. And it seemed like you know, community. And I was an only right. child just living with my mom. I'm like, oh. so I longed for that aspect of mm -hmm. something. So that yeah. was to recognize. But, uh, so as I grew up and I studied religion, I took a, a class on Islam. I took a class on world religions, just a part of my own seeking. Mm -hmm. And um, it, in my 30s, I moved to where I am in Littleton. And there's the, the uh, Universalist Unitarian Church oh, yeah. down the street from me. And people rave about it. 
So, so I go there and I talk to Mrs. Like, you know, I'm, I'm battling depression still. And I, you know, tell, you know, tell me what's your dogma. Tell me how to live. Like, oh, we don't do that. I'm like, what? Like, I'm finally ready to come to organized religion. And you don't have any rules for me to follow. He's like, no, we don't. I'm like, ah, you know. So, <laughs> I was so pissed and disappointed. I was like, again, I'm finally ready to give myself over to something. And no, we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like why well, and you picked the wrong folks to talk to <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then i continue to take the wrong folks to talk to because then i got involved in scientology mm. um who very much are good at telling you what to do and uh <laughs> and they tell you yes. to do costs a lot of money too oh um, yes yeah. so, uh, but that, you know, it, the, the best thing i i got benefits out of scientology and that was the first oh. place i truly accepted and believed and had experiences that I was a spiritual being mm. and I got that. And that's, that, that's all I got. And that was a great right. thing to get. In a, in right. A, yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. In fact, I remember you and I talking about your experience about you know, a couple of years ago and, and I was really struck by, by the experience that you actually had. And it reminded me of when I used to live in Tampa, you know, just on the other side of the Bay in Clearwater, that's, that's the church of Scientologist headquarters. And I just remember, you know, people would always oftentimes poke fun at the Mormon missionaries, you know, wearing their suits and their name tags and the white shirts and everything else. And, you know, the, the folks who were the, um, the employees of the Church of Scientology were all walking around wearing the same, well, pretty much the same uniforms, if you will, that I just called them uniforms. Um, and I, I remember sometimes some of my friends like pointing it out and saying, oh, that's so weird. And so for me, it wasn't weird at all because of course, you know, in living in Salt Lake City and being right by the headquarters of the, uh, of the LDS church, same thing, you know, everybody's going to work, everybody who worked for the church and would always go in their suits. It looks like they were basically going to church, which no way they were. They're just going to work at church. Yeah. Yeah, so, 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 so Scientology is like everything around it, like how you dress and act. It's all tied to, you know, the early 50s when, when L. Ron Hubbard was writing it all. Yeah. So it, they have not like grown, like everything's still on paper. And I kept, get, I kept getting in trouble and sent to the ethics office because I use the internet. And I would come in like, hey, I read this about, oh, you what? You read it on, oh, no, off you go. And, you know, and we just had to write things out that I was it might be a being Bart Simpson writing on the board I will not use the internet again and like, <laughs> you know I mean? like but then they'd have some classes that were like beneficial so right. was, but yeah. I, was going in, I was going in and taking classes all the time and and Lori my wife joined me I think she joined just to make sure what is, what are you doing <laughs> so right. she some things with me to just to keep an eye on me um, but yeah, uh, you, I, Lori. yeah but eventually I got kicked out for good and was declared a uh Persona non grata, basically. Yeah, they call it a PC, a pre-clear, and yeah, I was not. I could keep paying for classes, but I wasn't allowed to be audited or get their real helpful practices. Right. Yeah, it all came to head. I find. I remember I was. I finally committed to spending thousands of dollars and going to do this thing they call the purification rundown, mm -hmm. which is yeah. like eight to ten hours a day in a sauna and just drinking a special substance that they give you just to flush everything out of you and clear yourself. And I'm mm -hmm. going to do this at the last minute. Um, they decide that I had too much experience with psychiatry. So we can't help you. Like they're, they're so anti-psychiatry. If you've yes. much in your background, they, they, they don't want to touch you. They do. 
Right. Really weird, but well, you know, it's interesting because my own ex- when you bring up the psychi- the psychiatry thing, it brings up my own experiences with uh, LDS social services, which is like one of the one of the more I would say positive aspects of what the LDS church does is that it is very service oriented religion. And even though I'm no longer, you know, part of the church or whatever, um, I should say a practicing, um, I no longer really identify as Mormon. I nevertheless, you know, see a lot of the positive things which they can do in the community. And they're, they're really, really, really big in, um, helping like local homeless shelters they they interact with many of the other faiths i mean they're a huge donor to uh saint vincent de paul homeless shelter which is no catholic run charity but you know the lds church nevertheless you know provides a lot of support to them and so forth but all of that is done through lds social services one of the things that lds social services also provides is is counseling and most of the most of the people who work for LDS social services providing counseling are you know psychologists they've actually studied psychology they're familiar with all the things and so forth but back in the 1980s and 1990s one of the services that they offered and it was church sanctioned it's not anymore but was conversion therapy and you know we've talked a little bit about my own experiences with conversion therapy back then it was called reparative therapy and um, I, I honestly don't know why they changed the terminology. Uh, you know, I think it's because it's like less insidious. I don't know. Um, but the, the, the whole idea behind it at the time was, you know, the repair to, you know, you, we are helping you to repair your identity and your sexual uh, identity and so forth so that you can have healthier relationships with men. And I know some wonderful people who, you know, had very good experiences with it and who have for and who are living the same life you know have been able to you know find a path that worked for them which i celebrate with them you know and it, however i found that for me it did more damage than good i was on the verge of committing suicide most of the time as well what kept me alive was my fear of how a, fear of going to hell, and although in LDS theology there is no hell, but B, um, it really, I didn't want, I don't want that, I didn't want that to put that burden on my family of my death. So fear kept me alive, fear of many, 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 many things. Um, and I'm grateful, but you know, some of the positive things that came out of my own experience with you know, church-sanctioned psychology was learning how to build healthy relationships with people in general. So it it helped. It did help. So was that experience with the conversion therapy? Is that what um, had you leave the organized religion of Mormonism and go more spirituality, or um, sort of? It's kind of it did get me on that path, but ultimately, what got me on the path of just moving, you know entirely towards spirituality and just not wanting to have anything to do with organized religion in general was the fact that just the simple questions, which I always had, which is, you know, why is that every single organized religion, especially it's a very hierarchical one, has claims to have pretty much a monopoly on the truth. And it's like, our way is the only way and you have to go our way. And yet it's like everybody had the same, you know, monopoly and there were like thousands of monopolies out there. 
you know, and it seems like every single person seemed to have, you know, be happy following whatever it was that they were following. Ultimately, for me, it's just like, you know what? It's pers- it is a personal thing. It ultimately is a personal thing. And whatever path is the path that brings you the greatest joy, fantastic. Knock yourself out. Have fun. Enjoy it. When you well, were you ever uh, practicing Mormon? Yeah. Oh, very much so. Okay. In fact, I was when during the time during the times I was going through conversion therapy, I was looking for reasons to stay in the church, and I kept on finding all kinds of reasons to leave instead. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was desperate to stay in. Uh, ultimately, it just it came to the point where I realized that I was persona non grata, especially when a couple of years ago the church declared that you know somebody like me who you know who is you know, who was married to in the same gender relationship. I'm, I am officially a, an apostate now. So I am officially not welcome in the church. As long as I, as long as I, you know, divorce my husband, um, decide to go back to being extremely miserable and wanting to commit suicide, of course, then I'm welcome back. But, why would I want to do that? Yeah, yeah. So that's Scientology, very much the same way. Really, the the term that I I was declared illegal. So I'm an illegal PC, an illegal pre-clear. Right. So, all right. So we we both been banished by exactly. <laughs> and and I have to and I have to say, if any if any of my extended family is listening right now, understand this is just me speaking strictly for me. I still have great love, great love for the people. And even have great admiration and respect for the institution simply because the institution still does a lot of good in the community. It is simply the dogma where I draw the line. So does anything stand out top of mind for your most awakening spiritual experience, something that really made you realize that you were connected to something else, be it it in your time with Mormonism or, or since? Sure, yeah. Well, I've always known that I had much greater connection than than I was being told. And I also I lived with being afraid of it uh, of that particular connection because um you know, in most Christian faiths, regardless of whether it's Mormonism or, or any other faith, you know, if it's not coming from you know, if it's not something that's sanctioned by the by the church, if you will, then experience is not a church sanctioned experience it's coming from the devil so as long as it's coming from the devil it's something to be feared and so forth so my ability to just sense what people were feeling to even kind of just i've never really fully focused on on it until later um but just my ability to just know so many different things and to sense certain things and, and, and be aware of so many different things. I, some of it, you know, some of it absolutely lined up with, with doctrine and what I was being told and, and the dogma, but a lot of it didn't. And it was like, Oh, that needs to be feared. That's the devil speaking to you, the devil trying to deceive you, et cetera, et cetera. And eventually I just, I realized, no, I, I woke up on my own. It was a long journey. And I realized that, no, there is, at least my experience has been, there is no judgment in the realms of the divine. There's none whatsoever. That's a man, that is a purely man-made construct. 
And is there one particular moment that that you really oh, I get that? Like you're stating it now, but when wow, when did this wow, I know this to be true. Yeah. Um I haven't said there was a particular moment. It was really more of a journey and a process and a slow you know, and, and a slow realization. And then there was a point in January of 2015. So it's been over a little over three years now where that journey really accelerated. And, you know, I, I think I shared that I've shared that on the show before. Uh, but yeah, it was just through a very, a very dear friend who, um, really started helping me to wake up to the totality of me and lining up with me and, and my own process um, of connecting with everything that I'm connecting with um, through, you know, hiding, you know, through st still having to hide a little bit and then, you know, fully coming out is just, I'm just tapped in, tuned in, turned on a lot of the time. And, you know, whenever I need to, I can, I can fully just jump into, you know, different realms and different, dimensions if you will and and be there and you know, draw from that if needed do you find that being on the spiritual path is there is there a period when when you're done it's complete it's the the finish line of spirituality or anything like that mm, no no um just as there there's always expansion there's always growth Especially since, you know, in speaking in strictly human terms, the, this dimension that we live in, this universe that we live in is also expanding. You know, we, our current understanding of the physics of this universe lead us to believe that, you know, it may eventually slow down or it may eventually fly apart. Um, there, you know, it's, Inconclusive. The, the information that we have is completely in, inconclusive. The way I look at it is that we're tied into the universe. You know, we are, we're not separate from the universe, which means that if the universe is constantly expanding, so are we. The journey is never complete. And there's always going to be new things to learn, new, um, new information to be had. I, I love you say about expansion because so I, I, I do Akashic writings for myself and for, for, for clients right. and a common theme with people. It's, it's, it's your personal expansion that fuels the expansion of the universe. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. So it's our personal growth. It's our individual expression of spirituality that feeds spirituality. Yes. Yes. Very much so. Very much so. And you know, people who it's like, no, it's like this book says this and it was written thousands of years ago, even though it's meant for the time that it was written. Um, it says this, and this is the end all and be all. And it doesn't matter which book you're referring to, because there are many, many books, you know, in many different faiths and traditions that, you know, it's it, people like to stick to that and that's it. We are always going to be expanding no matter what. We're always going to be growing no matter what. Um, this idea that there's something that's fixed and in unchangeable is completely contrary to the truth of what actually is happening. And that's one thing I think is interesting about LDS theology is that LDS theology actually allows for that expansion. If anything, celebrates it and embraces the constant expansion. Of course, within the narrowly defined rules and parameters that, that you're given, but still, you know, they, they embrace the idea of constant and eternal expansion and growth. 
Could could you ever imagine yourself returning to a, an organized religion, be it Mormonism no. or or something else? No. <laughs> Emphatically, no. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, no. I I no. It's just. Although I'm not opposed to participating in ceremonies which, which foster a sense of community and belonging. Yeah, like, like um, me and my wife have traveled a lot, been to a lot of different countries and third world countries, and we love to experience rituals and practices and places that welcome you into their religion to have an experience of it, mm -hmm. uh, but without like you know falling into it or, or joining or, or whatever. Um, exactly. Because that's that's one. So I even have personal experience with, with born again Christians, mm -hmm. and I was in college. I was a communications major, and I worked at the local public access station. And uh, one night, I was left to be alone and set up the studio for um, the first show of, of a of a, a local pastor. I don't know what to call him. Be a pastor, but they were born again Christian group. Right. And the and he's talking to me. Okay. So he's talking to me after, and just I'm talking, and before I know it. He's got my hand on the Bible and he's doing stuff. And I'm like, well, he's like, welcome. And hugging me. I'm like, oh, great. Like, what, what just happened? And they kept calling me. And I'm like, what? I didn't realize I joined something. I don't know what's happening. I, you know, I was just, well, I'm just being polite and nodding and trying to get this conversation to end so I can go home. And but, right. uh, they thought I had joined their, their church. So that was tough to get out of. <laughs> it's so funny because I, I um, have to share my experience, this, this particular experience that I had when my stepson decided to, you know, by this particular point, I had you know, left you know, the, the church and so forth. And, but my stepson had actually decided to join it. And he ended up serving a mission. It's very, it's very much part of the LDS culture that every young man at 18 is expected to serve a two-year mission for the church. And um, it's not mandatory, but it is expected. And there, especially in Utah, there's a lot of pressure to do that. Um, you know, he served a mission and so forth. And so while he was out on his mission, you know, my husband decided that he wanted to find out uh, a little bit more about the experience. I mean, I told him what it was like, even though I never served one myself, but you know, I knew from my brother, my many of my cousins and so forth who had all gone out, I had a pretty good idea of what, you know, and could explain it to him, but he really wanted to see what it was like. So he invited the missionaries over one time to listen to the discussion so he could have a full-on experience himself about, see what his son was doing. And so, you know, we came over and by this particular point, I was, I was able to sit with them as both somebody who was on the inside and, but also as an outside observer. Now, <laughs> I'm a little hesitant to share this experience. And at the same time, I feel it's important for me to do so because I, I and my hesitancy has everything to do with the fact that I still have great reverence and respect for the beliefs of, of the majority of my family. And so, you know, I want to make it very, very clear. This is just simply what I observed from my point of view, and it's not meant as a criticism or anything like that. Um, but what I observed um, after having spent years working in real estate sales is I was observing a really, really good Brian Tracy or Tom Hopkins sales job. It was amazing. I mean, I, I just sat there and just 
I was like, hmm, yeah, okay, I see them handling this objection. I see them asking for the sale because they they always invite somebody to be baptized. That to me is like, oh, well, they're asking for the sale right there. And then it's like when my, <laughs> when my husband left, you're like, hey, you know, uh, well, no, no, no. I just want to understand what my son is doing and so forth. Um, they would try a different tactic and you know, ask for the sale again, uh, you know, invite them to be baptized again. I just sat there flabbergasted and amazed. And I was like, oh my gosh, no wonder Utah is the, is the center of the network marketing universe. Because if you can sell religion successfully, you can sell anything. And that was, just, that was strictly me speaking to myself. But it was an amazing experience. And if anything, a very eye-opening experience. And at the same time, I have to sh I have to express my deep deep admiration for on a couple of points first of all these are very young men and women who go out at a very critical time in their lives to do something which is extremely difficult the level of devotion that they have to doing something like that is absolutely amazing so props to them kudos to them for doing it secondly it can be a, an incredibly life-changing experience. And I know a lot of people who, after their missions, they came back home and it's like, mm -mm, nope, this isn't for me anymore. <laughs> they were out there trying to convert people, but they, in, in, at the end of the day, they ended up deciding that this was not for them and found a different path for themselves. I, I wonder if there's anything that, that you do now or a spiritual experience you've had or practice that you do that years ago you would have thought, no, that, that, that that's bs that that's not real or anything like that <laughs> um yes actually um i do uh i'm still not consistent with it but i'm becoming much more practiced and much more consistent with it now and that is i i do sit in the best way for me to describe it and this is the terminology that i i sit in the to, let me use a term that would be that perhaps most of the listeners could relate to a little bit more easily. I sit in divine, divine realms, um, just to just to be there, just to get a sense of of um, just who we are, the totality of who we are as humanity, and it's just a beautiful, wonderful experience. It is a form of meditation, if you will. But oftentimes it is, you know, to, to be there, <laughs> funny because I'm, I'm, getting, I'm, being, I'm getting a little download right now. It's like, no, you're more, it's more like you just pop in your head in periodically. <laughs> like, okay, I, I stand corrected. Um, but what it is, is my, my goal really is to be able to sit in there and root myself in the best thing to describe it would be to root myself in the realm of love. And if I can root myself there, I feel like then I'll be in the best position to serve possible. I, I really like that, that phrase sitting in the realm of love, because when, when you're first saying um, a divine realm, 
or the divine realm. I forget exactly how you're divine realms as in plural. Okay. Right. All right, good. Cause I feel like, well, is, if, is God everywhere? Like, is this not a divine realm right here and now? Or so there are hierarchies <laughs> or layers, but, um, when we just got like kind of a, this pure love energy, um, I can, I can really feel like, yeah, that's different <laughs> than the average here and now of, of <laughs> human experience, right? Exactly. Cause sometimes I, I honestly, I really try to find terminology. It depends on really whom I'm talking to. And so if it was just you and me talking privately, I could use terminology that a lot of people would be like, huh? <laughs> so, but since obviously, you know, we're, you know, we have a lot of listeners, I'm trying to use terminology that they could potentially, you know, relate to as well. But yeah, at, at the end of the day, what, I, what I'm really aiming for, what I really want to do for myself is to root myself in the realm of love. Yeah, and you know what I've come to see as probably the the root cause of of trouble and challenge with organized religions is that they may have been founded in love, but mm -hmm. over time they've morphed and they're really rooted in fear. Exactly, they got polluted by fear and wound up getting rooted in fear um, because there was there was that sense of needing because somebody came along appropriated it and it could be a someone or a bunch of someone who came along appropriated it and decided to use it for their own selfish purposes um and then yeah they became a bunch of you know fear-based stuff yeah and instead of being about expansion a lot mm -hmm. of organized religion became about control yeah absolutely organized religions are very much about control and institutions can develop almost like a, a consciousness of their own and as with any living creature it its ultimate goal is to survive so you know people who serve those institutions may not even realizing that they're all they're doing is doing everything they possibly can for it to survive and it will and those institutions will try any anything possible to survive so, so yeah, I mean, oftentimes what you, when you see this us versus them mentality and, the, and just the, the constant drumbeat of fear, 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 let's circle the wagons, let's you know, batten down, let's double down on, on, on all of the restrictions and everything else. All it is is the institution fighting for its life. And when we're able to let go of that, when we're able to step back and just like, you know what, we don't have to have any fear of anything. And if we can just allow, including the institutions to just be, rather than trying to fight against them, everything ends up evening out and everything balances. And so that, there's another really key word. Um, I find like if, if you feel happy and balanced in your life, um, practicing an organized religion, like wonderful. Yes. But, but if it doesn't feel that good, then you know, explore something else, perhaps. Yeah. Oh, yes. Absolutely. You know, I've said it a couple of times tonight, and and it really helps to reiterate that. Find the path that brings you joy. It doesn't matter what it is, and at the same time, that path. Realize that it is your path. And, you know, when you try, and if you wish to share that path, and if somebody wants to participate in it, fantastic. 
but to try to force it, to try to say, no, you're wrong and I'm right, and then get caught in the whole, you know, trying to convince somebody else of, of their wrongness and your rightness, you're going to find that you're not balanced anymore. You're out of alignment. Cool. Let it be your thing. So, yeah, so uh, your path could be, you know, in Catholicism, Mormonism, it could be in born-again Christianity, it could be in Jewish, it could be uh, Islam. And or Hinduism or Taoism or Buddhism. Yeah, yeah exactly. And you could jump from each to another in, in search. So, yeah, like, yeah. honor and respect your path. And, you know, I invite people to just, just be willing to explore and learn about, learn about other cultures and practices and see what feels best to you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I have found that the people who, I mean, yes, there are many deeply spiritual people who are still highly judgmental. There are very many religious people who are not and vice versa. Um, the people who are willing to say, this is my path and you are welcome to explore yours and we can walk together. Our paths can run parallel to each other. Those are the ones who fight into the greatest joy. Those are the ones who live in the greatest peace. Yeah. Well, that feels like a, a nice spot to kind of end this, unless yeah. there's something else you wanted to add. No, that's, that feels like yeah. a perfect spot. Cool. <laughs> so uh, thanks, everyone, for listening and tuning in. Thanks, Lori, for joining us here live and sharing some of your comments. <sighs> and if you like this show, if you like all the shows, there are ways that you can support Real Men Feel to keep our message going out and reaching more people. You can shop for some swag at realmenfeel.org slash swag. And you can also visit digitaltipjar.com slash realmenfeel. And you can even text us a tip at any time. Uh, you're just, just, we just cross your mind. You can just grab your phone. Yeah. You can text realmenfeel to 504-226-5306. So yeah. your support via listening, via reviews, via ratings, via monetary support to, to keep the lights on. Uh, keep the Real Men Fuel engine going. It's greatly appreciated. And whatever path you're on, we we honor you for being on a path. Yes. <laughs> Not yes. just sitting still. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Cool. So until <laughs> next week, uh, be good to yourself. Amen to that. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Until next week, visit realmenfeel.org or the Real Men Feel Facebook group and share what you thought of this episode. Please give this podcast a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel. Reach out to us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Show us some love by visiting realmenfeel.org slash swag or digitaltipjar.com slash realmenfeel. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com and Apio Hunter at apiohunter.com.